Life can be so busy that we often don't realize how far we have traveled on the path through life. We need to stop and examine what path we are on. Are we on the path that we have chosen, or have we strayed from the path the Lord has prepared for us? In today's message, we need to take the time to follow the old path. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. You open your Bible somewhere like right towards the middle, you'll find it there. It's Job's, Psalms, Proverbs. If you see those, you need to keep going towards the back. Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, Isaiah, then Jeremiah. I say that because you know how it is. You open your Bible, the pastor says, turn to such and such, and you open it up and you're like, do I need to go to the left or do I need to go to the right? And you're afraid the guy beside you is going to be watching if you go the wrong direction. He's thinking, that guy don't read his Bible very much. You know? You've never thought that, have you? Mm-hmm. So you find Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel right in there. Jeremiah actually wrote Lamentations and Jeremiah. He had actually warned the children of Israel repeatedly, but they just kept ignoring his warnings and rejecting his word. Until finally, uh, the Babylonians were tightening their hold on the city of Jerusalem. They seized the city. People were starving to death inside. And still, they turned to their idols, looking for help. (laughs) Finally, the walls were broken, and the Babylonians came in. They seized the city. Uh, They ransacked it. They took everything and everybody tore down the temple, tore down the palaces and burned it, tore down the walls and took the people back to Babylon. And Jeremiah, he witnessed all these things and then he wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations means to cry out and to lament. and So he wrote the book of Lamentations as well. And you, you hear those stories and read that, you wonder why in the world would God allow such a horrible thing to happen to His people? But you have to understand that they repeatedly broke God's law. He would warn them and warn them, and when they wouldn't heed His warning, and they would break God's law. And so, because of that, this judgment came upon them. Uh, now, as I think about all that, I've, I've been thinking about the law of God. And uh, if you were in the class that Joel taught uh, sometime a few weeks ago, the case for Christ... Uh, He talked about the fact that there is a universal moral law, uh, which simply means that no matter where you go on the planet, no matter what time period in history you go there, uh, no matter what culture of people you go to, they all have a a set of moral laws. They have a sense of what is right and what is wrong in their culture. And if you do what is right, you're rewarded. If you don't do what is right and you break their law, you are punished. And so uh, we learn that from that, it, it actually proves the existence of God. Because you can't have a universal moral law without a universal moral lawgiver. And so God, He puts that laws in the hearts of men. That there's, there's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's bad. There's reward and punishment. And so that's universally taught. So um, if you were in that class, you, you uh, learned that. We 
finish that class now. We're actually we're getting ready. Just let me put a punchline in here for what we're doing now. Uh, we're doing um, two different groups. The women have separated from the men. The, what what is what's the women doing? It's a Beth Moore study on loving well, and the men are doing a course through John Bevere called uh, Driven by Eternity. And guys, you got to help us out now. The women's rubbing it in because there was more women here Wednesday night than there were men. And they had refreshments. So we're going to do something about that this Wednesday. But I need some men to help me out here now. Which we had a pretty good turnout. But guys, you want to come out, it's a great study. And we're going to learn a lot in that. Driven by Eternity with John Bevere. Now, this universal law, it, it varies vastly from one culture to another. Uh, some cultures, they had uh, very primitive laws, and some had very sophisticated and well-developed, highly developed systems. Uh, for example, when we first came to the shores here, the Indians were here, and they had moral law, basically which said that this is our territory, and if you cross over into it, we'll kill you. And the other tribes knew you don't cross the line. If you do, you, you might get speared or shot with an arrow or nailed down to an anthill or something, you know, I mean, but you broke the law and you're going to pay for it. And so they had very primitive laws that uh, that they hadn't understood. While when we came here, we wrote the the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and other things, that which simply says that we hold these things to be self-evident uh, that God has created all men equal. You know, it's not the strong ruling over the weak like the Indians did. We... We try to have equality in our culture and in our, our rulings and our laws. Uh, you know, some cultures, if you steal something, for example, well, here you steal something, you are judged according to the value of whatever you've stolen. Um, some cultures, though, you steal something, they cut your hand off. You know, so that led me to think about something else about uh, the universal law. Even though it varied from culture to culture, it was universal. Everybody has it, which tells me God gave law because there's something about the law that is very important to God. And I found out that law actually keeps harmony in society and in a system. It gives us peace. I'm at peace when I know everybody's obeying the law. The laws are good. They're there for a reason. We read in Romans chapter 13. He says, all authority is given by God. And if you don't submit to that authority, you're actually resisting God. Because God's the one that gives the law. And so law, it gives us peace. Another thing that I've noticed about law is that people will only obey the laws according to how severe the punishments are for breaking those laws. <laughs> Isn't it true? I mean, you're going to get away with whatever you can get away with. It's just the nature of men. For example, how many of you remember the case where the American boy went to Singapore and keyed somebody's car? Oh, he thought that was real funny. Until they arrested him and threw him in jail and sentenced him to a public caning. Remember that? And the United States tried to intervene. Bill Clinton himself tried to intervene to stop this from happening. And they was like, you make your laws in America, we make our laws in Singapore. You stay in your yard, we'll stay in ours. But he's getting a whipping and he's going to do it publicly. And they tied him to a pole, took a cane pole and whipped him. Now, <laughs> you can... You can think what you want to about that, 
But I can promise you one thing. Baby boy didn't go to Singapore and key somebody else's car. You can believe that. Amen? He might key a car in New York and they smack him on the hand, give him a wink and a nod and send him out to key somebody else's car. But he won't do it in Singapore again. <laughs> Some people might say we could learn a few lessons from Singapore. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that. I'm saying some people might say that. Amen. So I've noticed that we will only obey the law according to how severe the punishment is. Sometimes. Because I've also noticed that some people will break the law even when they know better. No matter what the punishment is. Doesn't matter. They are going to break the law no matter what the punishment is. And that was the case of Israel during the time of Jeremiah. If you found your place in Jeremiah chapter 6, read with me in verse 16 through 19. Verse 16, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also I set a watchman over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold... I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. Father, we ask you now in Jesus' name to help us this morning, Lord, to hear your word. God, I believe this is a word in season. I believe that it is relevant for any generation, but God, particularly today. The society that we live in, Lord... The apostate attitude of our country and our church, Lord, here in America. Lord, I know that there are certain things that you have laid out for us, plain truths that we can see that we ourselves are responsible for. And God, I ask you, Lord, to help us, oh God, give us the power to walk in those things. And then, Lord, there are some things that you simply impart to us, Lord. And God, I'm not really clear on the, 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 where the line is between what is imparted to us and what we already know and what we are responsible for. But God, I ask you now this morning to help us to see and know your truth and understand the difference, Lord. And God, give us the, the willing heart, Lord, to want to walk in the things that you have showed us and taught us, Lord. I ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the 15th and 16th chapter of Jeremiah, the children of Israel... They're standing on the precipice of a total and complete collapse because they will not listen to God's law. And because they will not listen to His law, the judgment of God is getting ready to come down on them. The favor of God that has been on this nation for almost 1,000 years is coming to an end. In three to four short years, the cruel, brutal Babylonian people who serve a pagan god is going to march on Jerusalem and seize that city and ravish it and everything that's in it. So they're getting ready in three to four short years 
the Babylonians getting ready to seize the, the, that city and take them captive. And if you read in the 15th and 16th chapter, he tells them that he's going to take your, your wives, your children, and, and old men and young men and everybody's going to be captured together. So here God is warning them again. He is sounding the trumpet, a spiritual trumpet, and He tells them, listen to the trumpet. Now the reason for this, He tells us at the close of the fifth chapter, the chapter just before what we read, uh, in chapter 6, He says this in verse 30 and 31. He says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Man, that's, that's a very provoking thought. My prophets prophesy falsely. And those that's in the pulpit preaching, they do it in their own power. And everybody likes it that way. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. Don't you tell me they sin in my life and tell me I need to get things straight and I need to repent and live holy and righteous. No, don't tell me that. Tell me I'm going to prosper and be in health and live in good. That everything that I'm doing is okay. God's going to wink at it and it's going to be all right because I'm under grace. Because the people loved it that way, it said. But what will you do in the end? Because what he is saying is you can't continue down that path and get away with it. And that's what he's telling them. What are you going to do in the end? Do you not hear me? I'm blowing a trumpet, he says. Are you listening to me? But they wouldn't listen to him. So the priests and the prophets, instead of warning the people, they themselves were breaking the law. They were acting as though God wouldn't even notice what they were doing. Spiritual leaders had failed the, to proclaim God's Word and God's truth to them. So God is sending Jeremiah for this, this last-ditch effort to try to get them to turn around and see. Because you know what? I believe that if they had repented, God's favor would have came back on them again. Repentance does that. The Bible says if we have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, isn't God awesome? All the mess that I make, and He'll just wipe the plate clean and let me get a fresh start again. If I just turn back to Him. Man, what an awesome God we serve. Wow, that's amazing. But He sent Jeremiah and He tells him in the, in the 19th verse, He says, Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded My word nor My laws, but rejected it. Now let's fast forward to 2010. Because we see that the people dealt falsely and that the priests were living with covetousness in their heart. The priests had sinned themselves. If you read the 15th chapter, what you will find out is they were becoming very prosperous and rich. They were dealing with each other falsely, the Bible says. All of them, all the Jewish people, they were all dealing with each other falsely. And they all had a heart of covetousness. They coveted uh, what other people had. So I have to ask myself, do we see that in America today? And the answer is absolutely. 
I mean, it's not a question, do people deal falsely with each other? The question is, is can you find somebody that's honest anymore? You remember the day when you could shake hands and, brother, I mean, the guy would die before he would break his word. I shook your hand, or I just told you I would do something. And the only th- I mean, I mean, it would be a power beyond himself that would stop him from doing what he said he would do. I remember that. I, t- I try personally to live up to that myself. You know, if I tell you I'll do something, bless God, I'm going to do my very best to do it. If I can't, brother, it's a power beyond myself that's preventing me from it. And I know that you do the same thing. I realize I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. Uh, but nobody in here lives outside of that, do you? This is for those people that ought to be here today. Amen. <laughs> Give them a CD. But people covet. You know, we have to guard our hearts because we may very well be guilty of that. We see something else like, man, I wish I had one of those. And you're actually coveting those things. The Bible says be content with what things soever you have. Amen? If you have food and raiment, there would be content. But how many of us, let's be honest, I mean, let's get real this morning. We're content with something to eat and clothes on our back. You know, I mean, we, hey, brother, when we opened the doors of the church, we had an air conditioner rolled up a window unit on a cart rolled up in the door with a big piece of carpet over it. all the air conditioner we could afford at the time. And it was hot. I mean, brother, we sitting here with fans, wiping sweat. We had people coming to the church says, we'll be back when you get air conditioning. That don't sound like contentment to me. Amen. <laughs> they was coveting the church down the road that had AC. So we have to be really careful because it's very easy to adopt the world's philosophy of things. For example, this is a world philosophy for you. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Let me put that in this, this term for you. If I ask you, you might say no. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway and hope you don't catch me. And if you do, then I'll just say, oh, I'm sorry. Then we'll go start lying and be deceitful, right? If we get caught, all right? You get caught doing something you knew you weren't supposed to be doing, and you knew if you'd asked, they would have told you no because you're not supposed to be doing it. And you get caught, and it's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I know nobody in here has ever done that. Amen? You're being awful quiet. See, that's a good place to say, Amen, brother! As if you've never done that, see? But you don't want to be deceitful, do you? Okay. Some people, you know, we have the idea that I'm just going to do it anyway, and if I don't get caught, it's going to be cool, you know. So... The world's philosophy is if we're breaking the law, it only matters if you get caught. As long as we don't get caught, it's all right. And when we do get caught, then we just play dumb. And that is the attitude, I believe, of the world today. Lawlessness is released in the earth right now. Not just in America. This is around the world. Just a few numbers for you. At one point in history, Americans believed, 100% believed, that adultery was wrong. Can you believe that? At some point in history, we actually believed adultery was wrong. 
But you know that over 10% of the American people thinks there's absolutely nothing morally wrong with committing adultery. 12%. Which that's not a high number, but 12% is, I mean, hey, that's over 1 out of 10 people. 2 out of every 10 people believes that it's not morally wrong to cheat on the IRS tax return. You, should, you don't have to report all the income that you made. There's nothing morally wrong with that. Now, people may do that, but folks, in their heart, they have to believe, I'm lying here. Uh, no, nah, I'm not going to say that. Four out of ten people believe it's all right to drink excessively. That means to tie on one, you know, get really drunk. Four out of ten people you meet don't see anything wrong with that, even though the Bible says they're all drunkards and gluttoners will not receive the kingdom of God. But they don't see anything. Four out of ten. Over 48% of the people in America believe that abortion is nothing morally, morally wrong with abortion. And that's a very staggering number. 50% of people in America believe that it's okay. There's nothing morally wrong with smoking dope. Fifty percent of the meek people in America believe that there is nothing morally wrong with homosexuality. Five out of every ten people. Fifty-three percent of the people in the uh, in America believe that there is nothing morally wrong with lying on a resume. What are you going to do when the boss hires you and you can't do the job? Play dumb. Oh, you mean I had to do that? <laughs> Oh, I thought you saw him at the other thing. Yeah, I can do the other thing. But I didn't know you saw him at that. 57% of the people in America believe that telling a lie to save one's feelings is okay. That there's nothing morally wrong with that. Ladies, don't ask your husband, do I look good in this dress? Because he may have to lie. You like my new haircut? Well, me and you too, baby. Did I make you happy? Yes, dear. Sixty-five percent of the people in America believe that sex outside of marriage is morally acceptable. Sixty-five percent. There's a gradual shift taking place in the world today. Ignoring the law has become an acceptable way of life, and it has found its way into the church. There is a popular position in the church today, which is simply this. I thank God that we're under grace and not under the law. You ever heard that? Thank God we're not under the law. Praise God we're under grace. And see, to the people that think like that, grace is this great big umbrella that we hide under and do anything we want to. And then after we've done it, we can go and say, oh, well, God, please forgive me and everything is okay. And we continue in our sin. The book of John says that he that is in God sinneth not. In other words, he doesn't deliberately and habitually commit the same sin over and over again. But the concept of breaking God's law has crept into the church and it has become acceptable. That moral law that God puts inside the heart of men, we know when we're not doing something right. I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day, and he was giving some wise counsel to this young man who'd gotten caught in D.C. with dope. 
His mom and dad are good Christian people. And his mom is sitting there and like, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. And, and you, you've got to meet Scotty. He's just a straight shooting, tell it like it is, old mountain man type of guy. He's not a godly man, but he's, he's, he's got some good wisdom about him, about some things. And he looked at this young boy and says, you can't sit there and tell me you didn't know that it was wrong to do that. When you was doing it, you knew that it was wrong. Because everybody, all of us inside, we know when we're doing right and wrong. And I had to agree with what he was saying because we know that, see, he didn't even realize it, that that moral lawgiver had put that inside of us. But we have got to the point to where a lot of times we've broken the law so much, you know, when we get that extra five or ten miles an hour, <laughs> hoping the blue light don't get us. You know what I'm saying. Come on. Don't sit there and act like you all that. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we all do it. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. And we stay in traffic, whatever, but we do it so often and in so many areas that if we're not careful, folks, we think that it's okay. And then it creeps over into our spiritual walk as if God is the policeman sitting down there, but He's watching the other lane. He's not watching the lane that I'm in. And so it creeps over into our spirituality. And we thank God maybe he, maybe he won't see this one. But how many of you know He sees it all? The Bible says that we will even be accountable for every word that we speak. The judgment of God, He said, came down because even their thoughts. They will judge even because of their thoughts. So this false teaching has crept into the church that, oh, thank God we're under grace and we're not under the law. I've had to deal with that here because I preach righteousness and holiness and, and, and living under God's grace, but He gives us grace so that we can do good works. We find out, I think it's Titus 1.22 says, says that the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching them to abstain from ungodliness and, and unrighteousness. So that we can do good works, to paraphrase it. And so, I've taught that for, for many years, and I've had people actually say, well, the, you don't preach enough grace. I'm like, no, friend, you don't understand what grace is. What grace is for. The grace of God is not just a, a, a fix-all that we can sin all we want to and God's going to fix it. It is the power of God that empowers us to live the life that God expects us to live. Now, this is not something new. This is actually a false teaching that came along many years ago in a group actually in Germany in 1535. And it is a teaching called antinomianism. Now, that's a tongue twister. Say antinomianism. Antinomianism. It's actually two Greek words. The prefix is anti, meaning opposite or against. And the suffix is nomos, meaning law or rule. So antinomos actually means against rule or against law or opposite of rule or opposite of law. So the antinomians is what they were called. Uh, they rose up in, in Germany in 1935 with this, this belief that we're under grace. We're not under the law anymore. Uh, the false teaching uh, taught this. That since faith alone is necessary for salvation, one is free from the moral obligation of the law. 
they further promoted that the very notion of obedience to God's law is legalism. Ever heard that term? In other words, if I tell you, you've got to obey God's law. It's not right to steal somebody from somebody. It's not right to murder somebody. Oh, I don't have to obey that. If I've got to obey that, you're just legalistic. I mean, that's extreme antinomianism, but I mean, that was their philosophy. To an antinomian, the good life flows from the inner working of the Holy Spirit. That sounds good, doesn't it? The good life flows from the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in my life, He's going to guide me and direct me and teach me. All those things are true. He's going to guide me and direct me and teach me to keep this Word. That's what He's going to teach me. But see, to the antinomian, what it is actually saying is, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, then it's all right. If you're committing adultery and you don't feel convicted about it, it's okay. See, that's your truth that it's wrong to commit adultery. That's not my truth. Because the Holy Spirit didn't convict me of that. Therefore, I don't have to obey that law. Because I'm under a different law. I'm under grace. And grace allows me to do those things. I know that sounds weird, brother, but I'm going to tell you what. That's the extreme, but it has crept into the church. And what it has taught people is that each person has their own path to follow. Some of this is going to sound familiar to you. And every person must follow his own path, and each path is different. You know what that teaching is? Scientology. It's the New Age teaching. Everybody has their own path, and each path is different. My path is different than your path. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. Look at it this way and listen. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. There's only one path that we can follow and get to God. And we're all on that same path. The Bible says that it's narrow and it's straight, and only a few people find it. But the way that goes to destruction is wide and broad, and many will go that way. And so this is it's, it's rampant in the church uh, worldwide today. And we don't, a lot of people don't even realize what, what that is. It's antinomianism is what it is. Now, Paul warned us that just before the return of Jesus, that lawlessness would prevail uh, in the land and that there would be a great falling away in the Christian world. You find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Verse 3 through 8. It says, Now, brother, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him... We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He's talking about the rapture of the church. It hasn't come yet. I mean, if you know it hadn't come, we're still here. Amen? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the righteousness of his coming. Now look this way and listen. What that is simply saying is this. Even from the time that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said lawlessness, this spirit, is already at work in the land. And he's going to continue to be at work in the land until it culminates in the one who is actually instigating all of this, the lawless one, being Satan. And he is going to be manifested in what we know to be the Antichrist, who will stand and declare himself to be God in the temple of God. We find that in other places in Scripture, declaring himself to be God. But also, the Antichrist spirit, we find that in, in also in, in the book of John, the Antichrist spirit is in the church. And it's, it's when the Antichrist spirit is in the church, it is when we are saying something contrary to the Word of God as if God said it. Are you hearing me? For example, that the, flow, that the good life flows out of the indwelling of the Spirit and leads us to do what we do. And if, God, if He doesn't lead us to be convicted for sin, then it's not sin. Sin is different for you than it is for me. And if we teach that as if God has said that, that is a false teaching. So let's just back up again and ask, what were the priests and the prophets doing during the time of Jeremiah? Teaching false doctrine. They would not proclaim the truth. They would not point people towards the law and towards God's Word. And he says, because you've rejected my Word and you have rejected my law, the calamity is going to come upon you. And he was speaking of the invasion of the Babylonian people that's going to come and take you captive. If you're reading the 15th chapter, it says they're going to come in. They're going to take the husband with the wife. They're going to take the old with the full of days, meaning those whose life is still in front of them, children. They're going to take all of you captive. They're going to take your houses. They're going to take everything. You're going to have nothing, and you're going to be prisoners taken into captivity into Babylon. He warned them, but still they rejected His law. They would not heed to it. So the message is simply this. I said all this to bring you to this point. Are you still with me? Say, "Uh uh-huh. The lie that breaking the law and that you can live any way that you like will satisfy you is the lie the enemy wants you to believe. Because you see, the Bible says that the reason that the prophets and the priests taught false doctrine is so that they would prosper. They were they led by deceit. Uh, they were not honest. And said that they, they did it because they were covetous. They thought that if I do this, it's going to satisfy my longing heart. That's the lie of the enemy. The reason that we break laws a lot of times is because there's something in it for me. I'm going to gain something by doing this. And we think that if we can, if we break the law, live any way we want to, do these things, that it's going to satisfy me. 
Jeremiah 6.19, he says, Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. The fruit of their thoughts. The fruit of their thoughts. Because they have not heeded my word nor my laws, but rejected it. What that is simply saying is this. God is saying, all right, you want to ignore my law. You want to ignore my word. You want to continue to turn to these idols or believe these pagan gods or believe this lying witness that tells you you don't have to keep that law. You'll be happier if you don't. I mean, everybody else is doing it. Why don't you try it? And all the things that the enemy tries to tell us to get us to step outside of God's covenant. All of those things. He says, you want to do all of that? You want to do all of that? The thought and the intent of your heart is to do those things. Okay. Then you're going to reap your thoughts, is what he's saying. In other words, you're going to reap the harvest from the ground in which you have sown your seed. You're going to reap the reward of the God you have chosen to serve. The Babylonians did and still do serve a pagan god. And he took them captive out of the holy city and took them captive under the rule of a pagan kingdom serving pagan gods. And they reaped the reward of the same God that they had, that their pagan gods, had, uh, the pagan country had served. Uh, is that making sense to you? I, I'm stumbling over my words here trying to get this across. But what he's saying is, I'm not doing this to you. This is the harvest that you have sown. Doesn't the Bible say God will not be mocked? For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If we do it God's way, He promises us a good life. But if we choose to do it contrary to God's way, then we're going to reap the harvest of that, He says. It's all saying the same thing, Old and New Testament. You're going to reap the harvest from the ground in which you have sown. You're going to reap from the one that you have served. So God was actually trying to save them from the destroyer, from the enemy that they were serving. That's the lie. Now, the truth is, if you walk in the old path, you'll find rest for your soul. So I'm going to close with this, with the scripture that I opened with. Jeremiah 6, 17, 6 and 16 and 17. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see. I want you to listen to what he's saying. I believe, church, that periodically we need to stop. Just just stop. Everything. Stop your thinking. I, I did this just the other day. I was sharing with Brother Timmy. I went down to help him a little bit on his house. And I said, Timmy, I am the most waffle-brained person you'll ever meet. Men are waffle brains, women are spaghetti brained. Right? That's not an insult, it's actually a compliment, ladies. You know, women they they connect all the everything. It all runs together and they can carry on three conversations at the same time. It's amazing how they do. They're multitasked. They, men, brother, we get in a waffle, I'm we're doing this right now. I mean, if we're watching T V and she comes in and asks you a question, do you even hear her? No, you're not th- you're not in that waffle. She said no. You're not in that waffle, you know what I'm saying? 
you got to get out of the TV, Waffle, and get into her. She asked me a question, Waffle's like, yeah, honey, what would you say? Because we're just that way, you know, and I am that way. I mean, I am. Is it not true? Something occurred to me. God didn't dwell in all my waffles. Because a lot of things that I get in, in my thinking, in my inner thinking, I don't need God for this. I can do this fine myself. And so I just go about doing what I need to do and, and I get it done. And, and God has given me a natural ability to do some of those things. And I actually can do it. And, but even though I can do it without God really being there to guide me, and although He is God, He gave me the gift to do it. But you understand what I'm saying? I want to acknowledge His presence and I want to welcome His presence in every category. And, 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 and it occurred to me, I, I believe God showed it to me. He's like, Bernie, you're, you're, you're stepping from square to square, but you're not taking me with you. And so I had to stop. That's what He's saying. Stand in the ways. It's like coming to an intersection and there's, there's a way to go here, there's a way to go there, there's, a way, uh, there's all kind of ways to go, but there's only one that's the right way. And this is where the children of Israel were. This is where we are today. We, we have so many options. I mean, even in the church, I mean, you can, have, you can have a cafeteria, you can have a bookstore, you can have coffee, you can have it all. Brother, I'm telling you, there's more entertainment in the church. You don't have to go anywhere for entertainment. Just go to church. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just saying we, that's where we are. I mean, it's, it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not putting it down or condemning it. But we've we got to be careful make sure that way's God and that way's God and this and all of it's God-ordained and God has said to do it now. I hope I've cleared that up. But we, we, we get to a place and there's all these options. And he's saying, stand. If you're standing, you're not walking anymore. What he's saying is, stop. Just stop. Stand in the ways and see. Look at what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. And ask for the old path and walk in it. Because too many people, they don't want anything that's old. I mean, we're modern. We've got to do it. Th- there's all kind of new ways to do things. There's nothing wrong with new methods. But brother, there's only been one message since the beginning of time. And it has not and will not ever change. And that is the old path. God's law has not changed. It has never changed. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. When grace came on the scene, law didn't go out the door. Believe me. We still must honor the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and, uh, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus said, if you do these, all the other commandments will be fulfilled. Hasn't changed ever. Never will. And He's saying, Stop. In your ways. And I believe that sometimes we just have to stop what we're doing and say, God, am I still on the right path? Am I including you in every area of my life? Am I still obeying your word? Am I living by your covenant? Because he says, if you will stop, you will stand in the ways and see. If you will ask for the old paths and you will walk in it, He promises that you will find rest for 
your soul. And isn't that really what we're pursuing? I mean, even in our Constitution, we find these things to be self-evident. That God has created all men equal. And then he goes on to say, and among those things, we find the pursuit for, for uh, liberty. What is it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that what every person is really looking for? We want peace in our inside. How many of you married in here today? Raise your hand. How many married couples have got? All right, put your hands down. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If everything is okay between you and your spouse, isn't there just this is peace inside of you? Isn't that true? But everything in your life can be going perfect. And the two of you have a spat. And nothing is right. Is that true? Or is it just me? Folks, we have a love relationship with the bridegroom. And life don't have to be perfect. But if we will find the old paths and walk in it, He promises us, you will find rest for your souls. And I believe this morning God is saying, Bernie, sound the trumpet. Because Jeremiah said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. They said, we will not listen. He says, stop what you're doing. Look around you. Ask which one is the right path. Find the old path and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. And they said, we will not walk in it. He said, okay. You've made your choice. Behold. In other words, you're going to see this happen. Behold means you can see something. Calamity is going to come upon you. You're going to reap the harvest of your thoughts. That's not God's desire for the church, folks. His desire is that we find rest for our soul. And I don't know how I can lay it out any clearer. Living by God's laws and His statutes. God's given us the grace to do it. And as long as we continue to do that, it doesn't matter what else goes on in our life. Isn't that true? Amen. Well, that's all i got to say. I feel like I've done what God sent me here to do. Praise God. Why don't you stand to your feet and worship team will come up and join me on the platform. a song just started racing through my head. Wow. <laughs> Old song. I saw a wayward traveler in tattered garments clad. He was struggling up the mountain. It seemed that he was sad. His back was heavy laden. His steps were getting slow. But he journeyed up the mountain singing deliverance will come singing palms of victory. Palms of glory, palms of victory I shall wear.
I saw him in the evening. The sun was bending low. He'd overtopped the mountain and reached the valley far below. He laid down all his burdens at the feet of the king. He went down the road of glory. These are words I heard him sing. He sang palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory I shall wear. I don't know what that's for, but since I got it, I give it to you. All right. I remember singing that one time, and my mom said, I can see my dad, my grandfather, my grandfather Dean. She said, every time I hear that song, I see him with a bundle of slabs on his back coming off the mountain. My grandfather used to go up and cut the trees, actually cut them down, bring them off the mountain. He would take a draw knife and slit little slivers of white oak and weave chair bottoms, and he actually made the whole chair, and he would sell them to that's how he provided a living for his family and stuff. They were very poor. She said, every time I hear that song, I see my dad coming off that mountain. Maybe somebody feels like that this morning. Feel like you're carrying a load. You want to walk in victory? Won't you lay it at the feet of Jesus? Palms of victory, crowns of glory I shall wear. Father, I just speak what I hear you say. I don't know any other way to do this, Lord. They tried to teach me in Bible college, but Lord, I just didn't seem to get it. <laughs> I don't know that I do this very well, but God, I do the very best that I know how. And Lord, I just take what we have done this morning, what I've done, and given to the people, Lord, and I leave it at your feet. Lord, I ask you to take it now and do with it as you choose. Father, I ask that you work in every heart. God, don't let a single person walk from here today carrying a burden that doesn't belong to them. Father, if there are people that's walking on the wrong path, Lord, they're doing everything their own way. God, they really haven't stopped to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? God, may they stop at the intersection today and look and see and ask for the old path and walk in it so that they too may find rest for their soul. God, help us to hear your word today. It's the same, God. It hasn't changed. Old and new, God, you said it's all profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in how we can be right before you. So, Father, take that word, Lord, and give it increase right now. I ask you to bow your head this morning. If you're here this morning and there's something that's just weighing heavy on your heart, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not trying to get people to come to the altar to feel like I did a good job or anything like that. I just want you to leave here without that burden on your back. I want you to leave here with rest in your soul. And maybe you're here this morning and it's you're saying, Pastor, something that you said or that the Holy Spirit has said this morning has hit a, a place in my heart. And as you close in prayer, I just want you to pray for me. Because I don't want to carry this burden anymore. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. Yes. Yes, I see your hand. I don't want to carry this burden anymore. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Oh, God.
so many people, oh Lord, weighed down with the just things. Dear Jesus, help us to see that you took those things upon you at Calvary. They don't belong to us. God, you told us to cast our cares upon you. But Lord, I read that and I so much want to do that. But sometimes, God, I find it difficult to know how to do that. But Jesus, I ask you this morning just to show us, Lord, how do we how do we cast our cares on you? And just trust you, Lord Jesus. saying that many times we we come because come to church because we want to receive a blessing and maybe this is I just I don't know if this is the answer that you're looking for it's going to help you but I hear the Lord saying if you want to receive a blessing in other words you want to walk free from this then you need to be a blessing God's ways are different than the world's ways. If you want to receive something, then you give something. If you want to keep something, you give it away. And so I, that's just what I hear the Lord saying. You just take it, do what you want to with it. But if you're if you're under a burden and you're weary and you're carrying this burden, find a way to release somebody else's burden. I believe in that process God's going to do something supernatural in your life and take that burden from you because when we begin to esteem others higher than we do ourselves we are obeying God's law the number one law of nature is looking out for number one but that's the world's nature that's not God's nature we need to look out for other people that's the nature of God. So, Father, in closing, I, I, I don't know what else to do, Lord. I don't hear you saying anything else, but, Lord, I just leave it here, Lord. God, I pray peace and rest for the soul will be given to every single person under the sound of my voice, Lord. And that, Father, as we 
learn a little bit more about how to please you and to walk in your will. God, we will know that peace. And Father, when the world begins to try to draw us and entice us, we look at that and say, you have got to be kidding me. You think that you can deceive me for one second with that. God, help us to see and know that is not the old path. And we'll not be deceived and buy into that. Father, we'll be strong in our faith, God, and we will stand strong and be a witness to your peace and your rest so that other people will desire what we have rather than trying to draw us into what they have, Lord God. So, Father, I ask for your peace now not only to rest in individual lives, but, Lord, I pray for your peace to rest in the homes of those assembled here today, God. I speak your blessing over their home, O oh God. Fill it with laughter and joy, God. Father, help us to go outside the walls of our home and find someone now that needs a blessing, Lord, and be a blessing to them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.